2: From Connecticut Public Radio, I'm Frankie Graziano. This is where we live. It costs more money to live nowadays. We're kind of doing this show about money today to see how the federal government and our local government are going to respond to economic challenges each face in 2023. If you bought eggs at the stop and shop, maybe you pumped gas at the Roadrunner, or taken a scroll on the Consumer Price Index, you know something about inflation. But if you can believe it, there's actually something even more pressing as Americans stand on the precipice here of recession, and that's the debt ceiling. It's a cap on debt of some $31 trillion that CNN says we already hit two weeks ago. Joining me now from the U.S. Capitol region, Lisa Hagan. She's a federal policy reporter for Connecticut Public and Connecticut Mirror. Hi, Lisa. Hey, how you doing? Also joining us for today's political conversation are Dan Harr. You know him as the associate editor and columnist for CT Insider. Good morning, Dan.
3: Good morning. How are you?
2: I'm doing well, guys. Thank you guys for asking me. And a shout out and a hello to my public radio colleague in Fairfield County, senior reporter at WSHU. WSHU. I can't say my S's and my H's back to back, by the way. I got that from my parents. Uh, Ebong Udama. Good morning, Ebong.
0: Hi. How are you doing, Frankie?
2: I'm doing well. Thank you guys for asking. And if you are paying attention to us today, you want to join the money squad here today, you can join the conversation here, 888-720-9677 or go to 888-720-WNPR. Hey, we're on Facebook and Twitter as well, at where we live. Lisa, our capital correspondent, if you will, calling us here from D.C. today. The first question's for you. Why is there a debt limit in place and why did we hit it?
1: been in place for quite some time now and so it's as you said how much the federal government can borrow and spend and it's all to pay existing bills this is not future or new spending and so every time the U.S. government hits that limit Congress has to do something with it so they're now faced again to take a vote and pass usually it's to increase it for a certain period of time and for a certain amount of money so this is why we have to keep You know, Congress has to keep taking these votes, so they are on the precipice of doing this basically by early summer.
2: Two quick ones for you here, Lisa. How does it impact Connecticut?
1: Remains to be seen exactly how it's going to, you know, impact Connecticut and the rest of America. But we've we've seen some hints of what could possibly happen. I mean, when we've gotten close to defaulting before, you've seen disruptions in the economy. You've seen possible you know, we could see possible reductions or delays to government services like Social Security or Medicare. Uh, We've already sort of seen how it could affect American savings, like investments and retirement accounts, like 401ks. And when it comes to Connecticut, I mean, if basically if the if Congress doesn't default on its debt, they could make some concessions and they can negotiate on spending cuts. And that could also have an impact on health benefits, like again, Medicare, Social Security, or even defense, which we know Connecticut has a huge stake in its economy on defense spending.
2: And is this argument about the debt limit like not actually about the debt limit? Mm-hmm. There are a lot of like misconceptions about what Congress actually has to do here, right,
1: Lisa? Right. It's pl- yeah, it's become a political football at this point. And basically what we've seen is that it's used as a bargaining chip to try to cut spending. And so, yes, exactly. The misconception is that this has nothing to do with any new spending that Congress will enact or appropriate in the future this is all things that they've already spent like government funding and we've seen you know them pass the infrastructure law and all that federal pandemic money so this is just paying its debt on that and what lawmakers typically try to do sometimes and we're seeing with republicans now is try to basically cut down spending and we can see that in an array of different ways
3: who's <laughs> going to-
2: go ahead danny
1: I think we
3: need to dispense with the idea that this is a, a debate in the way that we debate issues uh, in legislatures in, in, in Hartford uh, and Washington, D.C. This is basically uh, a bunch of children operating in the state in the U.S. Capitol. We saw how they operated when they elected a speaker <laughs> with 15, a record 15 uh, uh, ballots, all just showmanship. And that's all this is. There is not any chance that the that Congress is going to fail to extend the debt to $31.4 trillion. That's not going to happen. Uh, it, it, it would be on the order of uh, eliminating the the Supreme Court. Uh, it, it's just, it's simply not a possibility. And so it's really just a game of chicken and it's silliness. There, there's, there's no, it, it, it really shouldn't even be a legislative decision. I was talking with the economist Fred McKinney in Fairfield yesterday Uh, And he suggested that it shouldn't even be up to Congress to do. And I thought of the same thing with electricity rates in Connecticut, that there are a couple of proposals for the, the state legislature, the General Assembly to approve or disapprove of electric rates. And this is just about as silly. Uh, both things are based on fundamentals that have nothing to do with the debate going on at the moment.
2: Is it like one of those things, Dan, where you got to kind of just show your constituents you're paying attention when you're talking about that electricity thing? And we could talk about this later on in the show, but is it one of those things to try to show your your constituents that you're going to strong arm the other side?
3: No, I think this is worse than that. I think this is a group of nihilists, twenty or so Republican who just destructors who who are not interested in 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 ruling and in, in leadership.
2: Ebong, he says, uh, Dan says we're being run by by children here, essentially. What are your thoughts on this? Who's politicizing the issue?
0: Well, this is politics. That's why they're politicizing. That's what politicians do. I'm kind of curious because the Republicans are throwing out that uh, this idea of prioritizing what payments they'll make. Uh, and uh, paying the bondholders first, and um, holding up payments for other things, so that the stock market doesn't go south. But uh, Lisa, what what is that all about? If you if you understand
1: it, yeah, it's it's hard to say at this point because you're right. I mean, they are playing a game of chicken. It's it's Republicans coming and saying we want to make some spending cuts in order to raise this, and The white house and democrats are basically saying they will not negotiate on this and so we don't even know what that looks like yet that i think that is yet to come and you know speaker mccarthy and president biden are about to have a meeting today to find that path forward but no one is saying exactly what would be cut but Ivong's right it's it would they would prioritize other things and it would be interesting to see if other things and other spending go to the wayside like some of those domestic entitlement programs
2: what, if any, here uh, is a timeline that we're looking at? Can you just spell that out for us, Lisa? And like i I, I know this isn't a government shutdown. If you have to also bring that up too, but I just want to I just want to think about like the short term future here. Like are we going to be going to like a Coast Guard base and talking to people about how they don't have money because they didn't get paid or something like that? give us give us an idea of what what this looks like.
1: Yeah, the timeline is basically over the course of the next several months. I mean, the US already hit its debt limit. And so now it's the Treasury basically prioritizing figuring out how to pay all of its bills. And again, I we're already kind of seeing the fallout of, of hitting that debt limit already. It's starting to take a hit on some federal retirement program and health benefit funds for federal workers. And so I mean, there's federal workers all over this country, and I'm sure in Connecticut. And so uh basically there is no they call it an x date that's the deadline to basically figure out how to raise the debt limit and they don't have an exact date but i've seen around early june so this should all come to a head in the spring and summer and uh you know just several months before congress has to tackle yet another government funding but it this would look different than a government shutdown
2: what does it say danny and Ebong, about the start that we're seeing here from from house republicans that are now in a in a leadership in a majority leadership position
3: i can't emphasize enough how much this is lower than showmanship because it, just look at the, the trump administration and i'm not faulting necessarily trump for this because there were a couple of extraordinary circumstances but the national debt increased by 8 trillion dollars during the administration of donald trump from 19 trillion to 27 trillion i think it was actually 7.8 trillion or something like that but that's a, that was the 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 highest non-wartime uh national debt increase ever uh it, it, only bush and i get you might be able to say that it's wartime but only abraham lincoln and bush increased the uh, uh the second george bush increased the debt by a greater amount so where was the voices then about we need to cut spending this is a largely about the tax cut Of 2017 which was irresponsible and which was not able to be paid for and now we're paying for
2: it. I'm glad you brought that up Danny because Ebong here let's think about it this way the two major things that it seems like we're, we're talking about when we have the spending conversation are those tax cuts in 2017 and then if we're talking about the Biden White House, it might be any money that was spent uh, to combat the coronavirus uh, after Trump got out of office and, and Biden took over. We, we were talking about a stimulus after that. Uh, I think it was the third round of stimulus at that point. So that's like the two major things in spending in the last six or seven years. What are your thoughts?
0: What, what can we do about it? The, mon- the money has been spent. <laughs> what are you going to do? The money has been spent. So what are we arguing about? You know, these arguments should have been made before they appropriated the money. Not after, look, the the horse is out the barn and we're closing the door. It doesn't make sense.
2: I always love a good uh, horse analogy there. I appreciate that very much. Lisa, is that the frustration you're kind of picking up on, on Capitol Hill, that this money is already, I think you alluded to this earlier, but this money's already been appropriated. Like, what are we talking about?
1: Yeah, exactly. No, he, he's exactly right. If this is all things that have been spent over a number of years. Exactly. There's nothing they can do about it at this point. They've spent it. They they went, you know, for, for two years, we've heard both parties, you know, argue over trillions of dollars of spending, but it, but it has happened and they need to pay it re- regardless. And so, you know, we'll hear for the next, especially two years, you know, Republicans rail against, you know, extreme out of control spending, but that is all future spending. This has nothing to do with the debt limit right now.
2: We talked about the major players on the Republican side here. We have Kevin McCarthy the new majority leader, excuse me, the new speaker in the in the House. And. We also have uh, what Dan, Danny Har calls the, uh, the 20 or so nihilist Republicans or so out there. Who are the players on the Democratic side, uh, Lisa? And anybody getting into the thick of it uh, from our, our delegation here from Connecticut?
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's all the all the democratic leaders. I mean it seems like again I, I alluded to this White House meeting that's happening later today with with Biden and McCarthy and so Biden seems to be taking the lead on this and and for good reason. I mean, well, one he is the president, but he's been through this before. He was vice president in the Obama White House when they had this really major standoff in 2011 and where Things, you know, seemed like they were going to go south, probably the worst case up until now. And so he's, he's been around the block on this before and has caved to spending cuts. And so he's kind of taking a firm line on that. But, you know, we'll see uh, Majority Leader Chuck Schumer in the Senate be playing a really big role in this. Uh, Hakeem Jeffries in the House. He is, you know, minority leader, so not taking as big of a role as Speaker McCarthy. But we'll see all the all the basically major players uh, in the Democratic Party.
0: What I'm kind of curious about is how sure is McCarthy of holding on to his caucus? Because, you know, all he needs is a few people to break from him, and and that's it.
1: Abong, you're exactly right, because, you know, McCarthy can sit there and say, hey, we're not going to touch Medicare and Social Security payments. We're not going to do any cuts to that. But you see those core of 20 people, or potentially even more in the Republican Party on the House side, who really, really want to see cuts to to those entitlement programs. And so yeah, he has only a few votes to lose in the House. This you know any any debt limit's gonna to have to pass both houses of Congress to get to the president's desk. And so uh, it's, McCarthy can say exactly what he wants, but he might not get the votes.
2: Danny, who's going to look better after all this is a Hakeem Jeffries going to look better or a a Kevin McCarthy? What do you what do you think? Because we've got to talk about some new blood now here in the. the
3: Jeffrey's looked he looked okay during the speaker debate until he gave a speech that looked like he was just elected speaker. He's going to be better off if he just doesn't say anything or do anything. This is not, as I said, this is not a debate between Democrats and Republicans in the House. That's not. This is. This is. This isn't going to happen. We're not going to shut down. The danger that this causes. Yes, there would be potentially some disruption if there were a shutdown for a few weeks or a few days, as we've had. And we. I think uh, Lisa, correct me if I'm wrong. That we had one in 2018, uh, briefly. Uh, but the big disruption here is to the world's view of the United States as the repository of safe investment, and that's where we exist, and that's why we have the lifestyles we. because money flows into the United States because we are the safest place to put money that's why our interest rates are low which is why which supports our lifestyles that's what the future potential disruption is here when that starts to look like maybe it's not so safe here because of a few small few children
2: I just wanted to again underscore what uh, what our uh, what our local leaders are thinking in all of this we do have uh, five congressmen and women here from connecticut that represent us in washington and i I always think about rosa delauro in a case like this if you have anything on this lisa if you can chime in on this but as i understand it uh, you know she was had a big role in appropriations and she had written a letter to leaders on the republican side that the plan cuts in the letters this is according to forbes would harm communities across the country and our national security interests around the world. Just anything quick on, on what our leaders here in Connecticut are saying.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, listen, they're all, they're all Democrats, the entire delegation in Connecticut. They all want to see the debt limit increased and to not have a default and to not have any spending cuts in the way. Uh, but Rosa DeLauro, you know, being at the time the chair of the per- Appropriations Committee, it's it, it, that's, that's a different animal and beast because that was, you know, funding the government. This would have different implications compared to like a partial government shutdown and so probably plays less of a role in this and the fact that democrats are in the minority in the house now she'll just she'll just be playing a very different kind of role in all this
2: lisa before we cut out of here what are you working on what can we uh, look forward to here uh this great work that you do for us in the connecticut mirror
1: well i'm definitely keeping an eye on this we'll, we'll see what happens but uh as always i'm just kind of taking a look at what legislation is going to come out of a divided government which i imagine will not be very much because it'll be very hard to pass both chambers of congress and i am a uh, kind of a little bit away from congress but taking a look at what's going to happen with sikorsky and the fact that they lost this major army contract and the implications for connecticut so that's a, that's a big one on my on my docket right now
2: and can we do this uh right now i'm sorry to do this to you but i don't know any other lisa hagan i only know you but how do we find you on twitter
1: Yes, I'm on uh, L A underscore Hagen. Okay, H A G E N.
2: There's two. There's two prominent reporters in this country named Lisa Hagen. So we got to make sure we get the right one. It's L A Hagen on Twitter, right? L A underscore Hagen.
1: Yep, we're both public radio, so it's uh, pretty funny.
2: This is my favorite, Lisa Hagen, who works with me at Connecticut Public and also works with the Connecticut Mirror. We're going to say goodbye to Lisa now, and we're going to ask Danny and Ebong to hang tight as I'm joined by the state's top budget reporter. He's Keith Faniff of the Connecticut Mirror. You can join the conversation if you're listening in 888-720-9677, 888-720-WMPR. Stay tuned after the break for my discussion with Keith Faniff.
1: I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving.
4: For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health.
2: This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Frankie Graziano, we leave Washington, D.C. now for state politics ahead of next Wednesday's budget address that'll be delivered by Governor Ned Lamont of Connecticut uh, to Connecticut lawmakers. The governor's been releasing some proposals ahead of that address, including plans to tackle gun violence and a call for a $45 million tax cut to some, I think there's 212,000 qualifying low-income households. As lawmakers begin to huddle over the next biennium budget, Connecticut residents calling attention to a budget surplus and a maximum budget reserve, should the state start using some of its enormous savings and surpluses? What else do lawmakers have to consider as they craft a new state budget? Here to help answer these questions is Keith Faniff, the budget reporter for the Connecticut Mirror. Good morning, Keith.
4: Good morning. Thanks for having me.
2: Oh, I'm very thankful to have you on. I really need to draw on your expertise here. Uh, if you're listening, folks, or you want to you want to call in here today, join the conversation, 888-720-9677, 888-720-WNPR. I want to start here with, I guess, the big question. Is Connecticut too flush with cash, Keith?
4: How much time do you have, Frankie?
2: I got about two minutes for this one. You can give me a good okay. one here. No, no, no.
4: Um, In the short term, Connecticut is very flush with cash, but this is where we really need the perspective. And it's hard because we're talking at times not just about millions, but billions of dollars being relatively small. Um, We have a 24 billion dollar budget. We have three billion in our rainy day fund. So we have enough to cover 15 percent of the general fund if it were to vanish for, for one year. We have $88 billion in long-term obligations. That's our pension debt, that's retirement health care program debt, that's bonded debt. We will be dealing with this well into the 2030s. And, and if history is any guide, much more likely well into the 2040s. So while the, the booming revenues we've had since about 2018 are absolutely significant, when you start looking at that long-term perspective, no, we're not, we're not too flush with cash. The flip side of that, though, is you can't just say, no state can say, we're going to pour every penny we have into our pensions for the next 20 years, and all the other problems that come up, will just have to wait. Um, that's not realistic. We're going to have to be disciplined about our pension debt, our bonded debt, chip away at the areas where it's gone too far but there are still going to be challenges that arise every year that have to be dealt with that's the balance that governor lamont and the legislature have to find
2: sounds like that's how we got here though such an emphasis on trying to make sure that we i don't know it 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 is kind of chipping away when you when you think about it with how big the 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 unfunded retirement obligations are, and and the long-term bonded debt. So, how did that contribute to the the growth here in the short-term cash? How did how did how did the how did that actually work out in terms of of our surplus and our rainy day fund?
4: Well, I I, I think that the surplus and the rainy day fund right now, we've got a really good handle on it. About as much as we can. Um, I think that you can you can prepare for an economic downturn, but only to a certain extent. And I'll, I'll tell you what I mean. Uh, we had between 2009 and 2017, an eight year stretch where revenue growth was really, really flat. There was no way. I mean, yes, we could have been better prepared for the last recession, but there was no way we could have socked away enough money so that everything would be taken care of i mean if we go through another period like that where um the the income tax receipts tied to capital gains and other investment income really have minimal to no growth then we're going to go through some the state the state budget is going to go through some tough times but i think right now connecticut is is prepared for about at least a couple years to, to be able to stave off any really tough decisions about things like, you know, a major tax hike um, or gutting value uh, very valuable programs. And I'm talking about if the global economy really goes south.
2: 17 was really the turning point, right? Uh, w- where we started to see money kind of pour into the rainy day fund, but it but it kind of had an inauspicious start, right? Because there was such a, a fight over the budget at that point. Do I have that right?
4: no you absolutely have it right um the 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 thing that's interesting back then is it was almost like right after they adopted the savings program i mean the revenues they would kind of already started to reverse but that's when right after they passed it it's just that somehow the state magically bought a lottery ticket and (laughs) the the money started really pouring in i don't think anybody um, saw that happening. In fact, when they created this program to save money we just sort of groped in the dark for, you know, where do we want to set the threshold? In other words, we, we have a limit on how much money we can spend that comes in from quarterly income tax receipts and certain quarterly business receipts, and it's about $3.2 billion now. We set the threshold at $3.1 billion back then and had a little modifier not because we'd done some study and found 3.1 billion was the magical number. That was simply the amount that came in in 2017. So we said, well, why don't we try to stay where we are and we'll see what happens? And we just groped for so far what seems like the perfect number.
2: I'm looking at the quarterly income receipts there and some of that, that extra money that comes in when you hit the limit, does that go to pensions?
4: Well, what it does is it, it initially goes to the rainy day fund, but as you've mentioned, Frankie, that's full. So from there, it spills over and we use it to um, cover unfunded pension obligations. One of the proposals um, that Republicans have, they would like to tweak this as um, to be able to use this money also to pay down bonded debt. I mean, we you know we go to Wall Street and we issue bonds to help with a whole variety of capital projects, you know, transportation work, helping cities and towns build local schools, capital projects at uh, public colleges and universities. We still have some high interest debt left around and some people are saying we should actually maximize that, um, uh, these surpluses by paying down some of that high interest bonded debt. Um, the problem is I think some of the, the Democrats are concerned um, um, how that will be perceived by labor unions. Will that be perceived as we're not taking as seriously shoring up our unfunded pension obligations? The problem is we have a lot of a lot of debt issues, and they could all use some extra money.
2: Eighty billion dollars or something like that. When you when you total the the uh, bonded debt, eighty-eight de- billion, 88, yes, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it
4: kind of makes three billion dollar rainy day fund seem small.
2: And could you ever just continue to to watch the the rainy day fund and the surplus kind of grow to try to hope that there's some kind of investment there that could be made into trying to 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 put a dent there, or is that is that impossible?
4: Oh, it's not impossible, but it's just it's a long term problem and so it's got to be a long-term fix you can't you know connecticut's never going to be able to just say well we can just solve 88 billion dollars overnight and let me just quickly frankie give you the, the other aspect of this think about you know we, we have this incredibly uh, robust surge in revenues they have happened before in the state you probably have to go back percentage-wise to find one this robust but they do exist but at the same time we had another sort of outlier thing we had the coronavirus hmm. nobody saw that coming in 2020 and connecticut like a lot of other states got billions of dollars from the federal government well about three billion dollars went directly to our state government over the same period of time that we've gotten this three billion dollars in uh it's the the, um, the so-called arpa money the american uh recovery and i think it's reinvestment act or I'm sorry, uh, Recovery and Protection Act. Um, but the point I'm getting at is at the same time we've gotten this 3000000000 billion, we've had larger surpluses than $3 billion. So I want you to think of this. If you put $3 billion of federal money into your budget and you end your budget with more than $3 billion left over, I hate to use the verb laundered because that implies malfeasance and that's not what I'm saying here, but we've effectively sort of just filtered this federal money through the state budget into the rainy day fund, whoops, that's full, into the pension funds. So you have to ask the question did Congress give us $3 billion of emergency money to shore up our pension fund? You know, if we got $3 billion of found money, 99 years out of 100, that would be the perfect use for it, pay off your pension debt. But is this that one year out of 100, one time out of 100? When you've got all these other public health problems, labor problems, I mean, the the pandemic's created all kinds of economic chaos. Can we really say, well, we've solved all of them. So the only reason the money's still going in the pension funds is because every issue raised by the pandemic has been taken care of. If the answer is no, then you have to ask, should all this money be going into the pension funds?
2: You mentioned the situation with the coronavirus, so I'm just going to use a, a comment we had here from a from a user on Twitter named Pedro. He says, "The surplus saved our hide during COVID. Politicians get tingling hands when talk of unused money is passed around, and they usually go to pork." What do you think about that sentiment, there, Keith?
4: I'm not sure. I, I I'm not sure entirely where he's he's going with this. Is is he saying that the the Maybe you can clarify for me. Is he I think, trying to say that the federal money has been used poorly?
2: I think I, I think it's just a concern that we that we have this money in the surplus and in the rainy day fund, and that now there's a pressure to spend it. And 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 and, and so so like what are we going to spend it on? Because you remember, I think back to 17, and and ultimately I think back to I guess 18 and 19 when Lamont started. Are we a far away where we're talking about either we use uh, we do tolls or something like that to, to fix the special transportation fund or as, as, uh, as uh, Senator Fasano would have said at that time, he was the old uh, Republican senator leader, he would have said let's use the rainy day fund or something like that. So are we a far away from, from that or, or are we going to actually dip into the rainy day fund and the surplus here to kind of help us out here in the short term on the budget stuff?
4: No, we're not going to see anybody dip into the rainy day fund. But going back to your to your listener's statement, I mean, this is not like Wheel of Fortune where (laughs) show my age here now, if you don't spend the money, you get what's left on a gift certificate. If you don't want to spend it on all these fabulous prizes, I mean, Connecticut does have real problems. I think this speaks to the wealth and income inequality in the state. Don't forget we had before the pandemic hit double digit unemployment. In some of our urban centers, you look at the overall state unemployment rate and it looked okay. Not wonderful, but okay before the pandemic. That's again, before the coronavirus struck. Once it hit, it caused a lot of chaos, not all of which has been fixed. You could just point to the restaurant industry. I mean, it's still down 20,000 jobs. And this is an industry that employs about 138,000. So it's probably down like 15% that it's never recovered. We've got massive shortages in our healthcare worker fields. I mean, and I don't mean only like in hospitals. I'm talking about in nursing homes, in group mm-hmm. homes, home health care aides. Um, there are huge problems that were significant before the pandemic that were sort of put on steroids during the pandemic that have not all been resolved.
2: I want to ask you here just about the budget really quickly. We only have about two minutes left here. Okay. So so Connecticut lawmakers, do you see them giving themselves some more breathing room here on that budget top line because of inflation and maybe some increased spending as a result?
4: Uh, yeah, I think that there's going to be a really strong push to do that. Just uh, I'll try not to use too many too many numbers here. But again, we have in the rainy day fund, which is one time money about enough to cover 15% of the general fund for one year. But the amount of money we're saving right now through the savings program, the big savings program, has is, is been averaging about 7% a year. And at least it's projected to average 6 to 7% for three more years. On top of all that, we have a secondary savings program that basically stops the legislature from making the budget too fine, they've got to build in about a 2% cushion. The Democrats are talking about taking half of that cushion and putting the money into local education aid. I mean, we're still talking about unprecedented margins of error in our state budget, unmatched at any time in state history for the foreseeable future. There's no risk here of of sort of getting caught with our fiscal pants down. Um, the only thing you can say is also, if we went into an eight year stretch where the revenues dried up, also there's no amount of preparation you can have to counter that. If something like that happens, you're gonna go through tough choices.
2: Just just really quickly too, because I wanna shout out your work at ctmirror.org because it's really so helpful so for somebody like me that really doesn't, doesn't uh, do well with budgets and money here. Uh, can we can we see the budget expand here from twenty four point two billion at least for FY twenty five or twenty four? Excuse me, from twenty four point two billion to twenty five point one billion. Is it does it look like the inflation here and and uh, it, 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 does it look like maybe it's a nine hundred million dollar growth here in spending that we might see?
4: Well, don't don't put that onto the entire bottom line. The, you're, okay, you're correct when you say inflation is going to absolutely allow us more spending cap flexibility most but not all of the budget is subject to the cap and that's about the projected growth in the capped areas there are other areas though that are outside the cap that could go up more so just don't count on a bottom line growth of nothing more than 900 million but I think you're right you're going to see some absolutely see some more funding in early childhood development you're going to see some more in higher education I think you're definitely going to see more in municipal aid, specifically education aid for cities and towns. And I think there's going to be a continued strong push to expand Medicaid eligibility.
2: That was Keith Faniff, the state budget reporter for the Connecticut Mirror. Thank you for coming on, Keith. I appreciate it.
4: Thanks so much for having me.
2: Coming up, Danny and Ebong are up to discuss proposals for the upcoming biennium budget. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Frankie Graziano. We continue the money conversation here with CT Insider, Associate Editor and Columnist Dan Haar and Ebong Udama, Senior Reporter at WSHU. Just want to have you react to that, uh, what we just heard from Keith Faniff about the budget and budget reserves. What do you think first, Danny? I don't hear Danny yet. Maybe we gotta well, unmute him. I'm there he is. <laughs> he's, he's 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 struggling to recover after hearing such a <laughs> powerful conversation there with uh, myself and Keith. I'm on. Go ahead, Dan. Your reaction to to what we just heard from from Keith Faniff about budget and budget surpluses.
3: I'm sorry. I was looking for my checkbook so that I could write a Colin McEnroe, a large check this year. Um, <laughs> well, it, I mean. It, I agree with most of what what Keith said. I think the issue is what's going to happen going forward. And the debate that we have is between how large should the tax cuts be? And it's the same debate we had during the campaign. Uh, You know, the governor is saying essentially that we litigated that during the campaign. The Republicans want much larger tax cuts because of these big surpluses. And the Democrats are more, well, I shouldn't say the Democrats. The Democrats want more spending, generally speaking. Uh, The governor is more concerned about both the pensions long term and a potential downturn. We are seeing signs of a potential downturn. This is not, you know, when things turn, everybody forgets when we go through a recession, everybody forgets when things turn, they turn really quickly. You know, so uh, we are seeing signs that that might happen. It's not I don't think it's going to be a big, bad recession like 2008, but we're looking at a downturn and the governor is being cautious and he's looking at about Three to four to five hundred million dollars in tax cuts, which sounds low, but if it's sustained over a long period, it adds up.
2: Ebong, we we talk about now this 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 gigantic long term debt that that the state faces despite having some money here in the short term. I remember Bob Stefanowski said when he appeared on this program a few months back when he ran against the governor again and lost against the governor again, that they should just give it back to the taxpayers. Is that something you can do?
0: It sounds great, but but I don't know how practical that is. Uh, considering, look, you're talking about long-term debt, eighty-eight billion dollars. I mean, you're always going to have that. Uh, you're always going to have to manage your debt. That's part, that's part of what uh, state government is all about. So. Um, what I'm, what i'm kind of curious about is that all parties seem to say that they want to uphold the guardrails that were put in place in 2017 in the bipartisan deal in 2017 mm-hmm. so um that actually puts a limit on what they can do so um but uh, as as Dan said, I, I don't I don't think they'll they'll spend more than four to five hundred million dollars. I, I don't see anything much more than that. It's how they're going to spend it that's going to be uh, the issue, and um, and that's what will be debated uh, this session.
2: And that's got to be a positive thing because that does that does look at least in terms of the short term outlook that there is some concern still for the unfunded obligations in the future. We only have a few minutes left. I guess I short-spotted you guys on time when I was thinking about uh, how this was all going to work out. But so far this year, from the governor on priorities for the biennium budget, we heard proposals to cut taxes for qualifying low-income households. We heard about new gun legislation. Uh, there's a plan to also restore the pass-through entity tax to help small businesses. What are your guys' impressions of what's being addressed in the new budget thus far? You start, Bong.
0: Well, basically, it's uh, as the governor said. He's going to be very cautious about this. So there's no big bold plan. Um, it's a little here, a little there, and 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 uh, it 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 makes it seem as if we're doing something, and I, I I think that's what's gonna that's what we're gonna end up with because also we have the uh national economy to think about. And that's slowing down pretty fast. And uh, the the feds are going to uh, probably raise interest rates again today. So the economy is slowing Mm. down. And uh, whether we'll actually hit a recession, I'm not sure, but uh, it's it's not, not looking rosy right now.
2: Danny, budget next week. Give me your overview here.
3: The governor has already said the uh, earned income tax credit, that's a $45 million a year increase up to $190 million for low to moderate income, mostly low-income workers. Uh, The governor has already said he's going to cut, as you said, the the business entity tax. That's worth worth $60 million to small businesses. Um, The big nut is in the so-called, not the so-called, the middle-class tax cut that the governor is going to propose. He will, uh, he told me, a half to a quarter percent off the five and the five and a half percent rates on your income tax on your state income tax that's going to be a couple to a few hundred million dollars depending on how it's structured and he believes that he would have a hard time getting a half percent cut i disagree i think he's going to get that easily and that that's what we're going to look at at those five and five and a half percent for households making up to 150 or 200 thousand dollars a year if you're joint filer about a few hundred dollars of tax cut. The big not question is whether he also gets talked into doing a child tax credit extension. We have it as one year this year and whether he gets talked into that, we do not know. Uh, Some Democrats want it and Mm -hmm. others are more cautious.
2: Thank you guys so much, CT Insider Associate Editor Dan Har and WSHU Senior Reporter Ebong Udama. Great conversation on money today that ends here. Also, big thanks to Lisa Hagen of Connecticut Public and CT Mirror and CT Budget Chief Keith Faniff of the Connecticut Mirror. Thank you guys for joining me today.
3: Thanks for having us. Thank you. Great to be here.
2: Today's show produced by Test Terrible. Our technical producer is Cat Pastard. Download Where We Live anytime on your favorite podcast app. Thank you guys so much for listening here today. For Connecticut Public, this is Where We Live. I'm Frankie Graziano. Thank you for tuning in.